Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Tiger Talk with Pat Caputo and the radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, Dan Dickerson. Fly ball deep left field. On Tigers Radio, 97.1, the ticket. Hey, it's great to be with you. Uh, no further ado, Double D Dan Dickerson's here. We'll have Riley Green, who was, I believe, the Tiger of the Year last yes, year. Yes, he was. Uh, he'll join us at 745. And anything happen with the fences at Comerica Park? Not not that I know of. I heard uh, something about they might move them in, but I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I never confirmed it. Somebody get a saw and make them shorter? <laughs> you know, it, I did have the opportunity to walk the outfield with the lines painted on the warning track, the dirt of where the fences will be. It was interesting. I was picturing 10 feet being more than it was. <laughs> it, it, it did not overwhelm you. You realize, really, it, it, it's about half the warning track in center field. So by visually, I don't think it's going to look a whole lot different. I think maybe the bigger change, and you and I were touching on this a little bit earlier, uh, might be the the seven foot fence, oh, especially question. in right center. Yeah. I don't think center field is going to play a whole lot differently. We are going to talk to Riley Green, who is the perfect person to talk to, by the way, yeah, about this. Uh, after a week where the fences were changed, both offensively and he's the guy <laughs> who's out there in center field, and he's the reason the fences are going to be seven feet. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I do think. It, I'm kind of curious about positioning. I don't think we're going to see a lot more home runs to straightaway center. But right center field might play differently with a seven-foot fence. It's going to be right in front of the old wall. But seven-foot versus 13 feet it could it could be interesting. Well, I do have uh, uh, something to add from an historical uh, perspective on this that I've mentioned before, probably have written. Uh, but, you know, maybe not everybody heard it and maybe not everybody read it. Uh, first of all, uh, it was to me it was interesting when we did the laser uh, measuring that it was 422 feet because it tells you the difference between today and uh, back in 2000 when the stadium opened. Uh, I know this, that the reason that fence was supposed to be 423 feet is because— That was the actual distance at Tiger Stadium. Right. Have I told you that before? No, but I'm it guessing was. because yeah. I actually, the last day at Tiger Stadium— stepped it off. Right. Okay. And I was accurate enough because I, I don't play a lot of golf, but I was accurate enough knowing that one step was three feet and it was like 140 out and 141 back. So 
I was figuring it was closer to 420. So 423 was the actual footage. Yeah, and, you know, I've said, you know, I had that from a high-level source and all this, but I think after 20... I walked it, Pat. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, After 22 years, okay, of that, well, actually it was 23 years, Mm -hmm. probably the year before. Uh, And I don't think, you know, John McHale was in the commissioner's office for a long time. He was the Tigers team president at the time. And, I, you know, John is a great guy, but I don't think he'd mind me saying he told me that. Okay. So that came from the guy who built the ballpark, uh, essentially, you know, had the the most influence other than perhaps Mike Illich at the time. So it's worth repeating for, for all Tiger fans who go way back and remember the iconic 440 in right. straightaway center. It was not 440. It was 423 feet. And can you imagine, you know, if you took like 18 feet and moved it back, because it went quickly to like 365 and 370 in the gaps, 325, you know, with the overhang and all that. Much shorter dimensions to pull the ball. But at Comerica Park, uh, the way it's structured with a little bit deeper in it, uh, the deepest part of the park isn't actually straightaway center field. It can be in that corner where the wall is real high where the fences kind of juxtapose there. Right center, where right center, the right field wall meets the center field wall, and where the left field wall meets the center field wall. Our best guess has always been 430. Yeah, and that's where Riley Green hit the famous ball this year, and then all of a sudden there was talk of this. And I don't know if it was coincidental. Maybe you know on that, uh, because I haven't had any source tell me if that's why all of a sudden somebody looked at that and said, that's ridiculous, which in a way it was. You know? Sure, and I, I think he and Spencer Torkelson both hit fly balls in excess of 415 feet. I think one was, I think actually both were in excess of 420, either on consecutive days or on the same homestand. And I, the, the basic thought was, you shouldn't hit a ball 425 feet and, and have it be an out. In other words, let's get rid of the 425 foot out. <laughs> that seemed like a reasonable proposition. I will tell you, though, moving in 10 feet, you're still going to have a 420 well, foot still, plus out at where the left field wall meets the center field wall. You know, I've yet to talk to Scott Harris, the general manager, but I did read uh, his quotes on it. I thought he handled this so well, just in terms of explaining he How did, they came exactly. to 412. Exactly. He talked about you want to be on one side or the other. You don't want to be neutral because you can build your ballpark. They're still on the deep end of the ballpark. You have to have outfielders who can cover the outfield. Yep. And in a way, I, I think this is ideal because Comerica Park, and you know this, while it hasn't been, you know, as good offensive park, you know, sometimes for home runs, and that's debatable. Sometimes the ball really flies there, especially when it gets warm. Yes, it does. Um, is uh, that a lot of balls fall in. And Tiger outfielders traditionally have had a big advantage because there's so much space in the outfield, and they know how to navigate that better, especially when they've had pretty decent outfield defensively. And they've had some good center fielders, Granderson and Austin Jackson, mm-hmm. and now they have Riley Green, who's outstanding out there. They, they've they been able to maneuver it and have it be advantage. And Scott Harris, from what I read, this was, you know, he said, you want to be on one side or the other. And they haven't taken away the advantage, actually, that they would have as a home park. And uh, I think they. the other part is very significant. The walls are shorter for safety reason first. A couple times Riley Green running into that big that was, wall. 
That was something I think, uh, if not overlooked, I think everybody who wrote about this wrote about it very well, but it, it, I don't think it got as much attention. But that was a big, big factor in this, the safety factor. We were testing some of those pads against the cement wall. You could almost not tell that it wasn't cement. Not those like, are hard pads. It's not like when they were at Tiger Stadium and they had like a chicken fence right. wall. I remember right. Ken Griffey, but, that one ball. He reached up, and I said, man, that guy's got a lot of courage to go up there. He, he would have broken his rib, you know, and some other players. But a couple times, you get a player like Riley Green who really goes after it, they run into that wall as a danger. And they've got a better feel for it, you know, to be able to make leaping catches over the wall. Mm-hmm. So that adds the possibility of that. You know, how many times do you see a player when the wall is reasonable, like seven feet, and it takes advantage of that major league athleticism and adds to the structure of the game and why we love it so much at that high a level. I don't think I've ever seen a player rob opposing hitters of home runs more than Torrey Hunter at the Metrodome. Right. And I don't think that fences were uniform. I know in right field they certainly weren't. Uh, but we're, they were probably seven or eight feet, right? And. Maybe this only adds a couple of those catches, but guess what? Those will be the two most memorable catches of the well, year. Somebody who's at Riley the game. Green's racing to the gap and goes up and over the fence and makes two two more home run robbing catches. It'll be worth it. Well, it's it's not just him. These major league athletes, they're center fielders and left. It just adds to the. Uh, it does. It does add to the chances, and you are not making any robberies in right center field with a thirteen foot wall. And as somebody <laughs> that watches a lot of different level baseball games. You know, having uh, that's the rumor on you. I do. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, high school, high school. You know, I remember that well back in the day, and uh, from playing and watch a lot of college baseball now that it's available, and uh, you know, watch a lot of minor league baseball. The one thing you don't see, uh, I think, is the most underrated aspect of the major leagues, are those type of plays. You see them, and they'll be on Sports mm-hmm. Center if somebody does it. Heck, you. See, but you don't see it nearly as much, those great plays defensively right. at other levels of baseball. It's very noticeable. And it's one of the reasons people talk about the difference in pitching. One of the reasons it's hard to hit at the major league level is you get no breaks. You get zero breaks. You know, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, at the fantasy camp one year, uh, you know, I went down there to write stories and, uh, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, people say, yeah, you're not going to go up there and you're not going to hit and you're not going to do this. I told Dan Petrie, you know, I was pitching to his kid at the time. You know, his kid was, you know, one of them. He's now the great coach at Orchard Lake St. Mary. I said, Dan, we'll go all out, man, because I don't want to be chicken, but I'm not going out there with a Tiger shirt and running around as a fan. So Dan pitched to me, and uh, I had three hits and five at-bats against Dan. But I can tell you this, they were fantasy camp fielders. Only one of them would have been a hit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nothing gets through there. It's a lot harder when those guys are fielding. I think one of the points that Scott Harris made, is that this has been in the works for a while before he came here. I think he probably put a laser focus on it when he got here. But the tricky part for him, as you said, you're trying to come down on one side or the other right. in terms of the advantage. Pitcher, hitter, it's huge right now by square footage, third largest square footage Colorado, Kansas City only are the only two larger outfields. Kansas City's is bigger. I know it's, it's total space. square footage. This is an estimate I saw a few years ago, but pretty well done work. Uh, this, by my guess, it you think it's about a hundred feet from where the left field wall meets the and the right field wall meets the center field wall. 
In other words, the straight across center field wall, I'm guessing about 100 feet. Right. You're taking about 1,000 square feet out plus a little bit in right center. Not much. You know what? It's still going to be one of the largest outfields around. But to your point, every year in terms of hits that fall, batting average, Comerica Park, looking at running three-year totals for the last 10 years, is usually above average, just slightly above average with a, a factor like 101, 103, 104. So a little above average. For home runs, it's always been bottom half, but not bottom five until the last two years. For run scoring, year in and year out, it's kind of middle of the pack. But if you look at where it is, running through your total, six, two, six, five, and then 10 the last year. So it wasn't an easy, it's not a home run hitter's ballpark, but it hasn't been a horrible home run hitter's ballpark until recently. Well, Miggy it's hit, average Miggy, for Miggy. run scoring generally. Miggy hit 28 home runs one year there. In Comerica his, Park. And it was one MVP read. And yeah. I remember listening to Victor Martinez complaining about it. And I looked it up. He in the did year, not like this ballpark. Well, the second, <laughs> the year he was second in MVP, and ended up getting his big contract. He had 15 home runs at home, 17 on the road. So, you know, a lot of times there's been a lot. And, you know, Nick Castellanos, he, he used to complain. I love Nick Castellanos when he comes in and start, you know, would talk about he was classic, you know. So he comes in one day and he starts complaining about that and metrics. Those were his two things because it was costing him money, right? But you know what? If you look at his baseball reference thing, he's got a couple dark spots there. You know, one of them's 10 for leading the league in triples. And look at how many triples Curtis Granderson hit, like in 2007. It was the most triples by anybody since like 20. Yeah, it was more than that. It was like, it was the most since like Sam Crawford or one of these, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like ball era hitters, right? Dead ball hitter. No question. You know, so, and he, he could, he wasn't even that fast. I mean, he was fast, but not, he wasn't a blazer. I saw in somewhere in one of the articles uh, about the changes that, uh, some research has indicated that Miguel Cabrera might have as many as 100 more home runs if he had been playing. <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop right there. Miguel Cabrera in his time in Detroit has five more home runs at home than he does on the road. I know that he doesn't like love Comerica Park as a hitter, but he has five more home runs at home. If he had a hundred, if it cost him a hundred home runs, he would have one of the largest home road splits of any player in history, which would make Comerica Park one of the best home run hitters ballparks, if that were true. So, well, I just say this: uh, and it's, it's dangerous it, to compare it to other ballparks. I, I will say this: it, it just you know, people ask me what I think about it. My first reaction is, "Come on, man, it's just a bunch of whining hitters," you know. And it helped the pitching staff. You know, they had Cy Young Award winners and Rookies of the Year. That you know, hey, remember that, but. Uh, a couple things. Didn't stop uh, 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 Cruz from hitting all his home runs. Didn't stop Mike Napoli from hitting a 100-mile-an-hour fastball over the dead center field fence <laughs> to beat the Tigers one nothing in the Ace, you know, American League Championship Series. Didn't stop Morneau from hitting a one-off Zamaya at 99 miles an hour and pulling it down the right field line. And the Tigers had a prodigious offense, and a lot of their production was at home. And the other part of it, I just want to say, I do think the Tigers thought this out well. I was worried, uh, you know, when that they were going to do it, that they were going to do something stupid, you know, and uh, they didn't. In my opinion, uh, cutting down the size of the wall makes it safer and possibly more exciting. They didn't take away from the character of the park. And by the way, the one ballpark that you travel to, which one reminds you most of Comerica Park? 
just the view of it. Like if you're there and you're thinking you might be in the same ballpark. Mm. Seattle's always kind of, I think of Seattle, not, it's very different, but just because they played similar through the years in recent years, not as much, but Coors Field. Yeah. Because you're not looking at the mountains at Coors Field. You're looking more toward, you you know why downtown John McHale built that ballpark too. Same company. I think it was KOA. So that's why it's like it is. All right, just some some background on it. But anyway, uh, we'll talk to Riley Green at 740. He, look, he's the ideal person to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Dan and I, we're not the ones who are participating in it. And uh, we'll get it to, uh, we'd love to take a call or two until then. 248-539-9797. Dan and I, could we go on for hours about this, just everything we know about it and love about it. I it's want to a, talk about a particular stat cast number. That'll be great. In terms of home runs and ballparks when we come back. That's uh, coming up next. Uh, Tiger Talk on 97 won the ticket. 97 won the ticket. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. Yeah, we got open lines 248 539 97 Talk some baseball. Give yeah, us a call. You know, uh, Dan and I getting a little long winded there, I suppose. But, you know, for me, Dan. You know, people who've been around the team for a long time, it's, uh, you know, fascinating to see what they did. And uh, I think they did a good job with it. I, I give them credit for it. I, I was like, whoa, man, what's going to happen here? We're going to have uh, the same dimensions as a Williamsport for the Little League World Series or something. Uh, I did not want to see, you know, people complain about baseball all the time, too, about everything. It's like Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, he's got the advantage of Yankees. He hit as many home runs on the road as he hit at home, and he didn't hit them all into that little right field area. And a lot of times data does not back up things. And, Dan, you have some great stuff here on, on that. Well, I, first of all, I've long been fascinated by how ballparks play. That Why does the ballpark play differently one year to the next when the dimensions haven't changed? We'll talk about that in a second. But one of the things that StatCast does, and you have it on the MLB research page as we're broadcasting the game, this would have been a home run in X number of ballparks, and fans have probably seen that. This would have been a home run in 28 other ballparks. The one thing that I think, and I've been guilty of using it too, no question about it, but it is very difficult when you really think about how ballparks play outdoor ballparks. Indoor ballparks all play pretty similarly, which is to say when you're temperature controlled in 72 degrees with X humidity, they play very similar. There aren't very many indoor ballparks, and I include Houston and Texas in this, where the roof is closed 95% of the time. They're usually middle of the pack for run scoring. So when you say this could have been a home run in X number of ballparks, 27 other ballparks, well, guess what? All you're doing is measuring feet and measuring the outfield wall. Oakland has a very short left center. Oakland is the worst home run ballpark year in and year out. 367 to the power alley because of Mount Davis and the way the football stands jut in. That wall zigs and zags, but it comes into 367 in the power alley in left center, 400 to straightaway center. So you'd say, yeah, that ball that was 380 at Comerica would have been a home run in Oakland. No, it wouldn't because weather plays such a huge role in how outdoor ballparks play. It's why you could reliably predict that hot, humid, windy ballpark in Arlington, the Rangers' new ballpark, which is going to be enclosed 98% of the time, which it has been, would be a middle-of-the-pack offensive ballpark. And that's exactly where it's been. Well, surprising you told me Houston falls in that Houston's in the, There is no indoor ballpark where the roof is closed most of the time. That's an above-average 
run the scoring ballpark. The other thing, you're you, in and you're out. You just None. told me this about uh, Oakland. I always bought into. That's why you got to look at the numbers on it. That Oakland and during the day was like, oh, the ball flew, and at night when the, you know, it got a little more humid and the air got a little thicker. I don't know how to describe right. that. But you told me there's no difference there. I looked at f- like 40 years of data in terms of day games, night games, where the Tigers in Oakland, there was quite a few games. Right. No difference. A- absolutely no difference. Tigers couldn't score run there, runs there in the day or night. But that's the danger of saying, you know, this would have been a home run in X number of ballparks. Just remember, air pressure. We don't talk about this a whole lot, but it's absolutely true. The people are much smarter than me who've researched this stuff. Air pressure. Absolutely affects a batted ball. So when it's cold or cool and it's high pressure, that ball doesn't fly as far. Summer storms, low pressure systems, humid, warmer, ball flies. Wind can have a big impact, but not in a lot of ballparks because you don't usually get a a ball being pushed out by the wind. Comerica Park could get it knocked down to right field. Yeah, I've seen that a few times. So there's a lot of factors, but weather absolutely plays a role. Yeah, and I just we, you know uh, we don't talk uh, about it. We should talk very to those much. geeks on, over there at Stadcax. They'll start to put all the those different factors in there. Start a campaign right now, Dan. So the optional for hitter: low pressure, warm and humid, wind blowing out, obviously. High pressure, cold and dry. Ball doesn't fly, and we're talking 10, 15 feet sometimes. So why has Comerica Park suddenly become the worst home run ballpark in the American League? Hard to tell. Well, partly the is the years. Tigers have got about as much power as but your it's basic. Not, it's, uh, not, it's not because of the lineup. It's not because, because you're comparing Tigers and their opponents' home run totals. I have no the, idea where that came from. That was me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tigers and their opponents in home run totals compared to on the road. So it accounts for a weak offense. Well, the, it, I looked at the Tigers during the year last year because this came up. And, of course, I had to get myself uh, out there on uh, Twitter and uh, show my big uh, big mouth about how I felt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I looked it up. Uh, there were, at the time, Tigers were under 100 home runs. They barely got over 100 home runs, ultimately. Uh, they had 52 at home last year and 58 on the road. And uh, the opposing— See, they weren't hurt by their home ballpark that much. No, they weren't. <laughs> And the opposing teams hit uh, home runs at, the, at Comerica Park uh, at a, th- I think it was like a three to two ratio or a four to, you know, two to one ratio over the Tigers last year. So it wasn't like, you know, somebody would come in and, oh my gosh, I, I can't reach the fence, you know, that type of thing. I, I did not see that. And, but I, in, I, in 2019, the year of the home run, I was just looking at some numbers this past week. Tigers are out homered in the year of the home run at home. 145 to 64 yeah, by 81 home runs in their 81 home games. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's all that it is, you know, and one of the things though is uh, it, it can be discouraging to hit her. Oh, I looked it up. We talked to Eric Haas. He was very clear to us that he wanted those fences in. And I think we talked to Eric like one or two days before the announcement. Yes. And uh, he was very he didn't, he didn't back off of you know right. anything on that, but he hit uh, the year he his first year seven home runs at home seven on the road last year was a little different, but uh, yeah I just uh, you know play the game the right way and you'll win you know if you don't you won't but I do like what they've done and I think 
Dan, visually, I, I, and I don't know, we'll see when it's out there, but I think it'll make the park look. I think they'll make it look really nice. Really nice. I think the lower, I just, I think it's a good idea. Like I said, I'm not for it just to do it and make excuses for, for bad performance by hitters. And But I think Scott Harris talking about being on one side or the other was actually a very pointed comment. And, Still going to be a big ballpark, and he talked about how you build your roster accordingly. Right. So from from my standpoint, uh, I think I'm going to like it. I think most fans will like it, and uh, I don't think it's going to make the game, you know, to the point where you won't recognize it as a Comerica Park entity. Right. So right. those are all good things. Well, to get to your phone calls coming up next, Tiger Talk, ninety-seven won the ticket. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Tiger Talk here on ninety seven won the ticket. And uh, Scott, you're on the air. What's up, buddy? Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. How are you? Love discussion about the ballpark. I got a uh, question about the players. Do you guys have any idea how much money Illich is willing to spend this year? Has he given any hints to you guys? Well, I he hasn't contacted me. Send me an email. I got to check my text here. I don't know if he sent me a text. Has he given out any ideas? I mean, basically, is he is he willing to spend Dan, enough? You got any of those texts? I haven't got any. No, no. <laughs> I don't, you know, honestly, I don't think you're going to see the Tigers spending a whole boatload of money this year, but. That is not coming from Chris Illich, I can tell you that. It's just common sense. You can see what they're trying to do. Well, I'm mean, right now, I mean, just looking at on baseball reference, their estimated payroll this year is 128. Yeah. Well, and that, to me, is about right when you think of all the stuff that Scott Harris had on his plate in terms of he wants to build a new offensive identity. That's going to take time. It's going to take bodies. So what are you doing a couple more years before this? Because the reason I'm asking, we, yeah. we do need – you can get there like but like Tampa and Cleveland do. But obviously, if you look at the payrolls last year, of the eight highest – of the ten highest spent teams, eight of them made the playoffs. So right. if you spend money, basically in the top ten, you had an 80% chance. You could always be Tampa or Minnesota or Cleveland – but I think it's up to the owner and GM to put us in the best opportunity to win, don't you guys? Yeah, and I, Tampa and Cleveland will never have a big payroll. The Tigers will, will have – I don't think it will ever be $200 million again. I, I, I just don't think the argument is that this market doesn't support a payroll that high, and I think that's probably true. I do think – let's say you go up to 170 just as a throwing a number uh, out there. I, I don't I, – I, I disagree with you, Dan. I think they, they'll go up as – at some point, they'll spend a lot of money if they guess, feel it's necessary. Because I guess the point is they're going to f- find out what they have, and then when the time is right, they will add a free agent and spend some money on a free agent or two with a bat. Can 
kind of like what Minnesota did this year. Because I guess what I'm looking at is, is that I'm all for, like, I'm big on Jackson Job. I'm going to be watching him big time in this whole season. And I think the play, we get a couple good prospects. The only problem I have is when it comes to prospects, 10% of them usually make it to the pros. And obviously a lot fewer become stars. Yeah. And if you spend the money, eventually it shows – uh, and we have the money, you're going to make it. Like, Hale Steinbrenner and Chris Illich are both worth $3.8 billion. They're both top ten for net worth. But Hale Steinbrenner is spending $258 million, and this year so far we're at 106. Well, uh, you know, you're Just looking— remember the revenue stream in New York uh, is a little bit higher. Scott, no, I know. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, but I'm saying he can spend more. I mean, when you're one of the well, richest owners, I think owners, he will when the time is right. More. Pat, you were about to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, appreciate the call. The Tigers spending money right now would it would be like going over to uh, the restroom, looking at the toilet, and taking the money and throwing it down the tubes. All right? They're not ready to spend money. They went through what they thought was a team that was going to be good. They went out and spent money to surround that nucleus with that. Those contracts for Baez and Rodriguez, uh, you know, Chafin, and, uh, you know, they traded for Meadows. Uh, they added a lot of veteran talent. Who am I missing out of there? Did I miss uh, one of the guys they signed him, drawing a blank? Uh, and they gave him awful contracts, and, you know, uh, because they have all the leverage of the players. And then they're stuck with the contracts. If those players don't produce, and then it ultimately affects you when you really have a good team from going out and getting somebody. So you got a team like uh, San Diego, and you're saying, man, look at San Diego. They got more shortstops than ever. So they've basically (laughs) taken the pieces to build a puzzle for a championship and stacked them up rather than put them together. The Mets, you know, going out and spending money, and the Mets have got big market, all right? So they got a lot of money and everything. Comparing the Yankees, people make a mistake. They look at the owner's wealth. No owner goes out there and says, oh, I'm just going to take a, a billion dollars of my money and put it in my team. you got to build it as a business. Baseball teams that do things business-wise properly are the ones that win. All right, the, the St. Louis it would be an example. Atlanta's certainly not cheap, but Atlanta's an example now. They did the right thing. I thought it was stupid that they build a stadium in the suburbs where the traffic is the worst it could possibly be when their team stunk. But look at what they've done. So, and uh, teams, you know, I know people are talking about Philly, but Philly won 87 games last year. And you say, well, they got into the World Series. Yeah, but they knocked out a bunch of teams that spend a a boatload of of money to try to win it in a short series. So you've got to be smart. So the Tigers aren't at that point. What Scott Harris has done so far, people are going, oh, Al Avila could have signed Matthew Boyd. I don't know how many times I got that ticket to extra call. That was actually a smart signing. It's for one year to help his team actually be respectable and not be awful as Riley Green and Torkelson and these other guys develop. Same with Lorenzen. Those two guys could possibly have their best year. Right. They give them 300 innings plus. And you'll be surprised because Mize isn't there. Scooble's not there. They're getting turn, uh, Turnbull back. And, you know, they've got Rodriguez. You're assuming that, you know, he's a good pitcher. He's just got to get out there and pitch. So, you know, you've got him. And all of a sudden, maybe, you know, and those players, Green, Torkelson, uh, Meadows. How many, Meadows didn't hit a home run last year in the major leagues. 
I think those three, Pat, those three are the ones you say, will this offense be better? Of course it's going to be better. It was historically bad last year. You have to go back to 1906 for a Tigers offense this bad. It's going to be better. But those three, if they hit with the upside, and it's going to be, it could be process for obviously Torkelson and Green, but Austin Meadows could certainly get back to a 25 home run RBI guy, 25 home run, 100 RBI guy. And then just remember what people were saying about Green and Torkelson going into last year. Well, Dan, in terms of what, the, not the Tigers, but the national consensus about how good these guys were and what their upside was. Danny, he asked me a question. You know, we were, you know, how many, you can't tell me that he didn't hit. Dan, I watched every one of Torkelson's at bats when he was in the minor leagues. He hit one pitch over 91 miles an hour out. I know that. I mean, I saw it. That, you know, I'd be, you know, if they got some data that, the, but I watched every one of his at-bats. Green was a different story. But you can't tell me if those two kids get 500-plus at-bats with Meadows, another 500-plus at-bats with Kerry Carpenter probably getting about 350. He's got power. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that they're not going to combine for more home runs than, what, 19 or 20 that they had last year. Meadows has hit 27 and 33 in the major leagues. He was Tampa's best hitter a lot of that time. So, you know what? It's about the improvement of those players. No question. And that's how they're going to – and Baez, and we talked about this last week, you can't tell me Javi Baez is that bad, all right? Because he really stunk last year. Javi Baez is a premier player. So I don't know, you know, but I'm assuming that there will be performance because he's in his prime – I think he's prideful. That all indications suggest that he sometimes he might be too prideful. He'll play his ass off. As Dan pointed out, he hustles, and uh, you can't tell me he's not going to do better. And Scope, I, honestly, Jonathan Scope, one year not that long ago, was top ten in MVP. Uh, Jonathan Scope is hit throughout his entire career except for last year. So you're going to tell me what is he thirty one? Right. Then all of a sudden he's never going to hit again. And his career is over. Now, if you were 35 or 36, sometimes players, you know, lose it. And I would say, you know, his body type and all that, you can bring that in. Except he was the best fielder regardless of position last year, which suggests his body type has nothing to do with it. So I'm expecting a big improvement from the players they have coming back. Right. We talked to Haas last week. Eric Haas is a good hitting catcher. For Not too many catchers have as much thunder in their bat as Haas. So they've got a more, little bit more offensively than people think. And they added a couple guys. Verling does have an upside. He does. You know, and, he, and he's entering Baton that 25. Can hit a fastball, by the way. Yeah, right. And 25-26, Matan, the same thing. You know, they're in that group where players come into their own, and they've had some major league experience. So I think it's a little underrated what they've done. They just haven't done – you know, where they're throwing a steak on the grill and you're having, you know, a, a big filet mignon at a news conference. <laughs> and, you know, there will be a time when that'll happen. If, if they get their team right. These kids that have gone through some of the injuries, the pitchers, you know, as you start to see some of their pitching depth, which isn't bad. They do have some good position player prospects. Uh, you know, it, it, it never it goes in some smooth direction. But I, you know, if Scott Harris went out and signed a bunch of guys right now, I'd be ripping Scott Harris. And people say, well, you're the baseball guy. You No, no, man. Don't do stupid things just to appease, you know, a bunch of loud mouths on the radio. 
And just remember, with all due respect, everybody mouse on the radio like me. <laughs> everybody that he has brought in, I mean, whether it's Matt Boyd and Michael Lorenzen, like you talked about, or the hitters, those are those signings. These are very perfect, carefully considered signings, and guys that they have traded for. These are guys they wanted. You hired Scott Harris for a reason, because he has this really, I think, innate ability to build a team and build a roster in the image that he wants in terms of what kind of hitters he wants to control the strike zone. Every move has been made in that regard. The one thing I, that, you know, I'm not trying to disagree with you to disagree, but I don't know if it's an innate ability as much as an ability to look at what are the yeah, facts. I should, I, right, I shouldn't say innate. No, no. You know, 15 be, years of experience in front offices, I think he has really developed an understanding. It's like these facts that you brought forward about the ballpark. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, Look, the, I've always thought this and that about that ballpark. I, I always look at facts, and I, I think I have some innate. But you know what? I couldn't have been more wrong based on the numbers. You got to read the numbers, and you got to read them right. Right, and then yeah, and then understand what they mean. Coming up next, we'll talk to Riley Green. Tiger Talk ninety-seven won the ticket. Tiger Talk. Here's Pat Caputo and Dan Dickerson. With further, without further ado, we're joined by uh, Tigers uh, center fielder Riley Green. Riley, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Great. Good to hear your voice. We're not that far from pitchers and catchers. <laughs> oh, I know. I know it's coming up, and I'm getting excited. <laughs> Riley, we figured you were the perfect person to talk to on this week when the fences have been moved in at Comerica Park. And so, because you're the guy who patrols out there, and you're a guy who's, well, first career home run went to center field coincidentally. Uh, but the, the I wanted to start on the defensive side of the equation because Scott Harris said the seven-foot fence, which will go now from foul pole to foul pole, it'll be seven feet uniform all the way across, was specifically because you have demonstrated that ability to climb fences, rob people of home runs. Talk a little bit about that and what, what you were thinking about and how that made you feel when they talked about that because clearly your exit interview had an impact. Oh uh, yeah, uh, you know I feel like I feel like it's a good thing that the fences were lowered just because you know there's still going to be a lot of room out there, so I'll definitely still have a lot of time to get to the ball. <laughs> and um, you know I just feel like I just feel like I have a way better shot with a seven foot fence instead of I think it was what ten ten feet or eight or nine or yeah, whatever it was eight it was. and a half to thirteen to eight and a half to eight. Going yeah, from right yeah. to left. Yeah, so it's definitely it's definitely going to be a little easier to get up there on a seven foot wall than it is eight and a half. So, so from the defensive perspective, before Pat asked you about the offensive perspective, because Scott Harris certainly mentioned this is about hitter psyche as well. What do you picture? Do you picture defensive positioning being a whole lot different? Walking it, being out there and seeing where the line was, what ten feet represented, it didn't feel like a major impact to me. But will it? Do you feel like defensively feel different, a lot different to you? Um, I don't think it's going to feel a lot different, I feel, but I do feel like we're going to have to make some changes to what we're used to just because it's a little shorter. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely go over that in spring training. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a little change, but I don't think it's going to be too bad at all. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, I'm one of those uh, – uh, I guess some people would say a loser sits there watching MILB.com on my uh, 
uh, iPad. Oh, you're I, like a you're like a video scout in the studio. Yeah, except I don't know what scouts <laughs> know. But uh, you know, I saw your you know what you did at Toledo in uh, uh, 2021 uh, and uh, at Erie before that. You hit some prodigious home runs. I think it was all Bo Burrow's 94 mile an hour fastball, the one that was 461 feet with 117 mile an hour exit velocity. <laughs> And the one you hit off the wall, I thought it was going to knock it down, you know, beyond the right field wall. I saw those. I don't think uh, we've seen you scratch the surface at the major leagues yet for your power. And we saw a couple home runs where you hit the ball a long way. Can you talk about that foot injury? That was a triple off Garrett Cole, I believe, that you had that injury. And, uh, you know, the three, a pretty good fastball that you hit. And how it set you back, because I know you did well. You were the Tiger of the Year and all those things. But it seemed like it set you back a lot, especially when it came down to power last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously I was feeling pretty good in spring training. You know, I was ready to go. You know, it's kind of it's hard to, to, to feel good, and then, then you're not playing. So it's, it was tough, but, you know, I feel like – I feel like mentally it was like, it was like good for me. Cause like, I feel like it made me a better baseball player now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whatever happened, happened, but you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for next season. And, you know, I'm ready to go. Yeah, what about uh, the, this, you came up immediately and your patience at the plate stood out and they adjusted to that. And then you adjusted back later after you, you, you struggled a little bit. What'd you learn about the cat and mouse game at the major league level? Yeah, it's just like it's just like a roller coaster up there, pretty much. It's you're gonna figure them out one week, and then they're gonna come back and figure you out. So it's like you said, it's just a game of you know who's gonna figure out who first, and um, that's part of that's part of what we do, like pregame and stuff like that. Just you know, being ready, having a game plan every single day. Tigers, Scott Harris has has made it quite clear that. He wants a new offensive identity for this team, and he's made many moves to try to change the identity of this offense. Roddy, can you talk about last year there was 100 days where during the lockout you could not talk to coaches. Can you talk about some of the things that you've been doing this winter, Michael Bedard, Keith Beauregard, James Rousen, all come in highly, highly regarded. But this is an entirely new hitting department, I guess is the best way to phrase it, in terms of the work that you've already started to do, the kinds of things they want you to work on. I know your dad still has a big influence on your swing and the work that you do, but give us a feel for the work that's going on right now, getting ready for pitchers and catchers and then position players reporting. Oh, yeah. So I was able to talk to them on the phone for a little bit at one point, and, you know, they had a lot of really, really good things to say. You know, I really – I really like what they had to say, and I'm and I'm super excited to get to work with them. But here, here at home, you know, I'm working I'm working with a with one of my old coaches and my father too, and um, you know, the swing's feeling good, and I'm just excited to get back because because my swing feels really good, and it hasn't felt this good this early on in a while. I think one of the fun things watching in September was, and, and Scott Harris has made a big mention of this. A.J. Hinch talked about how the thing that really impressed him about you last year, you just had this driving desire to win every day you go to the ballpark. Scott Harris has said he wants to bring people in whose only real focus every day is to figure out how to win 
that day. But to watch you and Kerry Carpenter and Spencer Torkelson and Ryan Kreidler, kind of that group that has played a little bit together in the minor leagues at various levels, come together and get to be in the lineup for the first time together in September was pretty neat. All of you seemed to really enjoy that moment, and all of you made it feel like this could be something that goes going forward could be could be kind of special. Yeah, you know, I feel like I feel like team chemistry is, you know, is the one thing that's super big when it comes to winning. You know, if if you can trust the guy behind you to get it done, it's it's going to get dangerous, in my opinion. So. I feel like the team chemistry, you know, us getting closer as as teammates, and you know, as we play more games together, I feel like I feel like it's gonna get it's gonna get pretty dangerous. You know, one of the things that was great about last year was listening to Dan's calls. You know, when you made those diving catches, oh, Riley Green with the dive, which was a complete opposite. The Tigers had a, a tremendous center fielder a few years ago named Austin Jackson who never dove. Can you, and I'm curious, I've been curious about this at all. What is your philosophy on diving? When do you dive, when not to dive? Are you going to dive less? Uh, what is your, you know, covering ground? You dive a lot. Is it a good thing, bad thing? Why do you do that? Is it instinct? Where did you learn that? Um, I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, in my <laughs> opinion, because because you can definitely get hurt diving. But, you know, I just I'm just going out there and playing as hard as I can and I'm working for that guy on the mound. You know, he's work, he's working his butt off, and, you know, the least I could do is get a little dirty and, and make a play for him. And, you know, that's what – that's kind of what I think about out there is, you know, this guy's busting his butt on the mound. You know, let's be ready. And just in case I have to dive, let's make a play and, you know, see what happens. Your jump rate was uh, among the best in the top 25% last year. Uh, did that come from instinct or hard work or a combination of both? Where did you get that? Um, I think a combination of both. MVP, it's that's really that's really all I work on is jumps. You know, I, I'll I'll do my pre pitch stuff in BP, and I'll take one or two steps to where I think the ball is going to go. And you know, it's just I just feel like all the reps that we're doing during BP when it comes to getting jumps really, really helped me throughout the season. And, you know, I'm going to continue to do that. Pitchers and catchers report just about a month, the full squad a few days after. This this is where you start getting a little bit excited when you start getting this close to, I know you're down in Florida right now and it's already warm. You're enjoying that, but this is when you start getting a little excited, isn't it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I mean, I mean, I've been, um, I've been hanging with my buddy every day and he's, he's ready too. And that's, that's all we've been talking about just like you know like when are we going back when are we going back and i can't wait i'm excited for it who's your hitting buddy in the winter uh vaughn grissom and ryan mountcastle okay Uh, a couple Couple of ball players yeah a couple of good ball players roddy can't wait to see you in florida can't wait to see what's going to unfold this year yeah yep i'm excited i can't wait yeah thanks riley for joining us tonight and uh good luck appreciate it all right all righty thank you guys